Hi, I'm Trevor Cochran and this is The Garden Gurus Live, a weekly show where I'll share seasonal gardening advice, feature a variety of gardeners from all across Australia and give listeners the opportunity to interact and ask your garden questions. To join the chat live and ask your gardening questions, all you need to do is like our Facebook page and tune in every week. This program is brought to you by The Garden Gurus and Scott's Performance Naturals. Scott's Performance Naturals is the 100% natural and sustainable way to grow and feed your garden. Backed by years of research and developed by scientists, the technology employed enhances natural processes, allowing extra strong growth. The Performance Naturals range contains organic materials such as nature N, blood and bone, seaweed, biostimulants, manure and feather meal to improve the soil, and encourage microbial and earthworm activity. To find out more about the Scott's Performance Naturals range, head to lovethegarden.com.au. Hello, welcome to The Garden Gurus Live. I'm Trevor Cochran, and it's great to be back with you on this Monday morning. With about 16 million of us in lockdown, it's probably a good time to be thinking about our gardens, whether it be inside our house or whether it be outdoors. And we've got a great show for you today. Um, A little bit later on, in fact, not too far down the line, we'll be chatting with landscaper. Now, this uh, landscaper, Peter Shaw, he's got a fantastic book that's that's just about to be released. It's called Soulscape. And um, Peter's practice is a uh, is an award-winning practice in Melbourne and uh, he's in a particularly beautiful part of it. So I can't wait to share that with you. We'll be catching up with our friends at, um, of course, at Garden Express. David Van Berkel will join us a bit later on. He's got a ripper offer this week and I'm going to be the first person to put orders in on, uh, on the two different types of or two two different groups of plants that he's got available for us this week remember garden express is your online garden center that delivers direct to your door and uh, just at the moment this is probably a very nice way to uh, to do it we've got five packets of the fabulous fothergill seeds um we'll also give away a book to you a bit later on i'll find one for you i think i've got delish just over here um we'll give uh, our our um our question of the day, uh, a copy of this. I'll be very happy to sign it for you. And uh, the great thing about um, about asking your questions, and that's what we're here to do, is to answer your questions. Uh, the great thing about it, of course, is uh, to make sure you tell us exactly where you are, where you're located, so what state, ideally what town um, or suburb, because it really does make a difference. Uh, and I'll, I'll explain it as we go through, but you'll see more and more um, that this is something that's, uh, that's coming up. Now... Um, Oh, and one more thing, just a little reminder. When, when, you, uh, when you see what we're doing um, and we're answering questions and, and uh, solving your problems, if there's something uh, that you like, then please hit the like button. Um, it really helps. It shares it with your friends. I might just give you a little weather update just before we go into answering your questions. I've already got a, a heap. There's at least five or six have come in, and it's great. That's exactly what we want to do. But uh, do make sure you tell us where you are located. I think... Um, uh, we've just, yeah, we're getting some updates, which is great, from a couple of people who posted but but didn't tell us where they are. They have now. Um, the weather in Perth today, it's 18 degrees, windy, and we've got a late storm coming in. Um, and we do expect that we're going to have a fair bit of rainfall. Sydney, 19 degrees, partly cloudy, um, and uh, kind of heading into some mostly sunny conditions uh, coming up. Melbourne, uh, 17 degrees, partly cloudy. Um, unlikely you're going to get any rain, according to the Bureau. Brisbane, 19 degrees with a shower or two, which is, uh, is a, big, uh, a bit cooler than what we've seen in uh, Brisbane recently. Adelaide, 19 degrees as well. Uh, again, uh, just cloudy. Um, uh, and Hobart, uh, what are we looking at there in Hobart? In fact, I've got Hobart and I've got Darwin. I can't quite see Darwin. This Darwin's 30 degrees and Hobart is 14 degrees. So uh, we are still in quite wintry conditions and that's a, a big opportunity for us, particularly as we're getting rain uh, coming through. It's an opportunity to plant. So um, I, I'm hoping that you'll be asking a few questions about some of the plants that you could be putting into your garden. Now, I will get into these questions and answers before we get to our first guest, but Jody is in New Mexico and New South Wales. Um, you've got Buddleia Golden Glow. It's grown enormous, and this particular Buddleia can be huge, absolutely huge. 
Um, I will have to uh, move some roses too close to it. Do they have a, a short lifespan or will they live for a long time and can I prune it? I remember a long, long time ago when uh, I was running a nursery up in the hills in Perth, uh, we had the biggest budbeer I've ever seen. It, it took up probably 20 square metres of space, a single single plant, um, and it was Golden Glow was the variety. And uh, fabulous plant for obviously for uh, providing pollen to uh, and nectar to butterflies and to birds, um, a good place for animals to be able to get in and, and hide. But if you do not have room for it, my suggestion is you would actually pull that one out. There are some wonderful dwarf compact varieties of budbeer available, and I'd suggest you think about getting your hands on those. Kale is in Perth. Good name, Kale. Um, when should I be planting dahlias in my garden? Good question. I've got dahlias that are just starting to put some uh, some buds out at the moment, some growth buds. So um, you'll find they're coming up in the um, Garden Express catalogue uh, pretty soon if they're not there already uh, and you can start buying your uh, dahlia tubers and planting them out so now's a good time to be doing it michelle is in new uh, newcastle in new south wales thanks michelle for letting us know where you were what's the best way to look after giant ferns now giant ferns can be uh, a couple of different types so tree ferns are, are considered often to be giant ferns because they, they get enormous and they tend to grow on big trunks but there are some others angiopterus and uh, some of those varieties that are also very, very big. Interestingly enough, the trick with ferns is to feed them very, very slowly and usually with an organic fertiliser. So um, sea salt by itself wouldn't do it, but if you mix sea salt and power feed, you'd get a great result. And the other one that works really well with ferns and probably one of the old-fashioned tricks uh, of getting great results out of ferns is using uh, fish emulsion. So um, my suggestion would be that you go down that particular path with these plants, Michelle. Margaret is in Belgrave. Um, could you tell me some good perennials to plant now that'll have a wow factor in spring? Well, I've been putting in quite uh, quite a few into my garden. There, It's been very wet and cold where I live. In fact, we've had nearly half a metre of rain in the last month uh, up in the hills of Perth, which is unheard of. It, it's the wettest uh, winter ever on record. So, um these particular types of plants have really struggled to take off, but there are some beautiful perennial foxgloves. There's begonias. Um, there's hollyhocks. These are all great plants. And what I'm going to suggest you do is head into your local garden centre because you'll find that there's this um, this wonderful collection called the Romantic Cottage Collection. Um, they're from the same people that produce Renaissance herbs. And their collection of perennials, of flowering perennials, is just second to none, and that's literally where I've gone and got a lot of my plants that have gone in. So um, check those out in your local garden centre, or at least go online and, and check them out. And if you can't get them, if you can't obviously travel to your local garden centre at the moment or they can't deliver to you, then maybe you might want to jump online to Garden Express and ask the guys there if they can uh, organise any of those those plants for you. They have an extensive network of suppliers, so they should be able to support you with that. Carolyn is in Sutherland in New South Wales. Now, my neighbour has a sea of wandering dew flowing into your backyard. Is there anything known to man that can kill this? No, it is a pretty horrendous weed um, and the trouble with it is it once it seeds it's those little blue flowers look great but once it seeds um, it just keeps popping up and popping up you do need to use um, a, a, ideally a knockdown kind of uh, herbicide so one of those ones that hits them and causes it to wilt very quickly and there's a couple of different types out there the one that um, smells a little bit like uh, salt and pepper is a uh, uh, salt and uh, vinegar is the ideal um, one for this particular plant. But you will have to keep going back and going back and going back. And as long as your neighbour is not doing something about it, um, it's going to keep trying to climb its way into your garden, unfortunately. So not a good one. It's a, it's a really significant um, weed, this one, Carolyn. Unfortunately, you're just going to have to be on the ball with it with regards to knocking it back. Um, please, folks, keep asking your questions. We've got lots and lots of questions flowing through and um, remember if you are enjoying the show uh, make sure you hit the like button that's a really important thing to do and that just means it shares with your friends and hopefully we're getting more and more questions coming through and uh, I think what we might do is we might jump in and do a little intro on uh, Peter Shaw. Now Peter 
is the principal of Ocean Road Landscaping. He's a very, very competent landscaper who happens to live in one of the most beautiful places on the planet. Um, it's it's a, a magnificent part of Victoria, uh, the Great Ocean Road, and he's just um, completed a book called Soulscape. So, Peter, I I'm, we've asked you to come onto the onto the show today to have a chat about the book. Uh, welcome to the show, first up, and it's great to have a chat with you. Thank you, Trevor. Thanks for having me on. Beautiful perfect. backdrop, mate. That's uh, it. Looks like that's your garden. Is that sunny mead? That's sunny mead. So I'm just at home, trying to open the doors a little bit. Hopefully, yep. uh, it's on the way to the front door. So if someone walks past, they just come into the door. <laughs> So be it. That's all right. This is real life. Um, Peter, tell us a little bit about your landscape company. You guys, you've won um, several awards, multiple awards, and you know you're well recognised as producing some of the most stunning gardens. And that's really been the inspiration for the book. So tell us about the landscape company first. Thank you. Um, well, it started out of really feeling connected to that sort of work as a young person leaving school thirty plus years ago. And feeling like it was something I could do well and was doing at home with my parents and enjoyed doing. My first job was mowing lawns on a farm. Mm -hmm. And so I just sort of uh, gravitated to that bit out of safety, a bit out of being comfortable with that sort of work. Yep. And then in, in 25 or 26 years ago, Simone and I, my wife, we got married. We settled in Anglesey. We named the business Ocean Road Landscaping and we started uh, – you know, just slowly ticking away, doing some projects and employed one or two people and then sort of things just took off slowly. I mean, when you get up and do something every day for 25-plus years of your life, something happens, something's got to happen yep. <laughs> in whatever career it is. You know, you can't sort of do that sort of work with passion and not have, you know, something behind it. And I think just getting up and carrying on it hasn't always been easy. There's been some hard times and tricky times, but you have to stand back a bit and see the big picture and think, oh, well, that's part of the course really. Yeah, well, it's clearly a passion for you. And I think, you know, if there was a, a commonality between all of us in the garden industry, it's that we, we do it because we actually have a love for, for the natural environment that we live in and um, being able to replicate the beauty of, of, of that in our own gardens and, and to be able to create them the way you do for other people is, is actually a really special thing. And, and I, I would imagine that the clients that you build gardens for, you, you'd forge quite a good relationship with them. You'd become quite good friends, I'd imagine. There's a lot of trust. Yeah, a lot of trust and, and you're right. It's, and it's not just me. There's a team of 20-plus people. So the relationships sort of start with those people and together themselves and with Simone and I and them, their teams. But then you're right, the clients, you can't have a workforce you can't sustain the workforce if you haven't got the clients to trust us and them or all of us to do the work. So, yeah, there's some long-time um, gardens in the neighbourhood. I, sometimes when we take people on garden tours, we start here at home at Sunnymead and we actually just have the privilege of being able to walk a few doors that way and a block that way and another one slightly around the corner. And yeah. all of a sudden, after being in one place for a long time, you know, there's gardens up and down the Great Ocean Road. But at home, close to home, there's or within a walking distance from home, which is, you know, a real gift to have. Absolutely. You know, present with today it, and still growing. It, so. it probably talks to the environment that you're in as well. I, I, I was going to say it is a beautiful a beautiful part of the world where you live. Um, the do, do you find with the gardens that you build that these are things that, you know, trying to think of the right way to put this but basically you know do you feel like you you're invested in those well beyond having you know signed it off and handed it over to the client when you've completed the project are you able to still stay in touch with those gardens yeah yeah we do we have a well the ideal model is design it build it look after it mm -hmm. come back and refresh it and do some more so there's a lot of um a lot of the work is ongoing care for the gardens that we've built yep but yeah, once you've been somewhere, you don't forget. And even when you go back for a new owner, you kind of go, oh, I think I might have built this retaining wall 25 years ago. When I was on the <laughs> um, and there's gardens that have been built and maintained. So, yeah, definitely have a connection because you just get to have much more of a, um, I don't know, you, if you're passionate about the work, you don't, you can't just throw it over your shoulder and say next. You've yeah. Got, part of you belongs in that work, so... Peter, tell tell me a little bit about um, Soulscape, the book. What what was the inspiration there? I began to realise that the work that we do is pretty special. Like it's 
it's landscaping and it's like everyone else, it's hard work and it's, you know, it's um, got its challenges, but there is something special about the work, mainly because of the landscape we're in, I think, and the unique situation and staying at mm-hmm. it for so long. So I kind of secretly felt like this story should be told and there's something here. It's not just a, you know, a, a big brochure, you know. It's yeah. a bit about the heart and soul, which is where the title came from. So I felt for that reason it was worthy of starting to write it. And there was this long period of writing where I didn't know where it was going to go. I was, I think my friends thought I was a bit mad. I was just sort of going away to my little place once or twice a, a month and tapping away and, um, and I kind of enjoyed that bit the most because there was no expectation of what would happen. But as momentum and things took off, Melbourne Books took on the publishing, which was amazing and fantastic and they've been really good. And so suddenly there was deadlines and, you know, things yep. to be done and things to get ticked off. That bit was equally as good, but I really enjoyed that period where I could just actually think about the story and what I wanted to say and what wasn't just about, well, you know, if you do this, this will happen. It was a bit about, you know, the thinking behind the scenes and the people things, the relationships, as you've said. So mm. It's, um, I think, you know, with the, with the, um, the I suppose, the elite um, garden designers um, and landscapers that I know in Australia, one of the things that is very apparent is that um, they spend a lot of time in the beginning of the process of building a garden, actually getting inside the client's head as well mm-hmm. and understanding what the client's lifestyle is like, you know, mm-hmm. what their commitment to the garden will be, what, what their passions are, whether they have particular types of uh, landscapes. So understanding all of that before you embark on the actual design process is a massive thing. Is this book... Um, very much a how-to kind of book. Is it? Does yeah, it, yeah. Is it? Is it a reflection of um, you know the processes that you've gone through in, in each of the gardens that you built and featured here? Yeah. So there's there's sort of the general picture of the big picture of landscape. I've written about that and what I value yeah. in that and how that's informed myself and the work and the designers that work in the team. And then there's a, a ten gardens that are covered. One of them, Sunny Meet at Home, but there's nine other small, big, medium gardens covered. Yep. And then there's a glossary and a section on plants at the back and a big section on weeds and a fair bit of how-to information on coastal gardening. And it's a not so much practical how-to. Well, it is practical how-tos, but it's probably what not to try and do because you just can't. Yeah. You find nature when you do some things. So it, there's definitely a how-to section if you were to read. But it's not sort of, you know, it's woven into the text in a way. Some parts are very direct, but if you read Edge Garden's story, you would hear a repeating theme that had been talked about in the how-to. So it's a story that evolves, I think, is the best way to describe it. Many um, many landscapers have a, a particular bent towards a particular style of gardening. Um, I, I've read here that you've got quite a um, quite a passion for Indigenous plant species. you want to tell us a little bit about that? So I, I think they are a little bit undervalued sometimes, but for our location and where we are, they are often the best choice because they mm-hmm. do survive well. And we probably treat things a little bit differently, not just Indigenous, though. A lot of Australian natives, um, like in the background, there's Lamandras and Wistringes. Surprise, yep. surprise, coastal garden. We hardly touch what's out there. I mean, there's a whole garden out there. but So definitely believe, probably foremost in the right plant for the right spot. If that's Indigenous, great. If it's not, it doesn't need to be, as long as it's not an invasive weed is what I say. So Yeah. Yeah. Um, we're getting lots of comments coming through. Um, uh, Annie, Annie Rue telling us what a beautiful garden you've got as a backdrop and Margaret uh, Campion saying, um, Peter, stunning garden. There's lots and lots of people who are looking and listening to what we're talking about. Um, this book is going to come out. It's going to be released in mid-September, is yes. that correct? Yeah, yeah. And that, will that be through through uh, bookstores across the country or is it an online? How, how are you doing it? Pre-order online now. Probably the best place at the moment to pre-order it's from the publisher, melbournebooks.com.au. Yep. Uh, most good bookshops, as they say, will have it stocked. Ask for it if it's not there because I'm sure it'll be just as relevant in every state of the country really because yeah. it is about working with what's around you in the bigger picture of landscape, even if that's an urban landscape. Doesn't, yep. It's not just for properties that are in amazing locations in the bush or on the coast. It's for you know, the values for anyone with the garden, really. So, yeah, all good bookstores mid-September. Peter, um, congratulations. Great, great thing. Very few people, until you've written a book, um, I don't think people realise what you go through in the process of writing, and you alluded to it earlier on. It's it's, uh, great sometimes to be able to express things that are almost... 
um, after a while they start to come naturally to you. And then when you stop and you look and you reflect, you realise these are these are great natural skills that you've somehow or other honed and, and crafted over the years. And uh, to be able to share it in a book like this is a special thing. Congratulations. I'm, I'm looking at some point of, of getting back over to Victoria when, when we're all able to travel again. I'd love to come and have a look at your garden, Sunny Mead, as well. It's, um, it's inspiring. Thank, thanks for joining us this morning, mate. Okay, thank you. Go well. Cheers. Yeah. What a great guy. This podcast is brought to you by Still and Evergreen Garden Care. Still is Australia's most trusted brand of garden power tools, backed by 95 years of German engineering excellence. To get your hands on their range, visit your local Still dealer today or visit still.com.au. What a lovely, um, what a lovely book. Keep your eye out for it. Mid uh, mid September, Soulscape and uh, connecting gardens to the landscape. And um, Peter Shaw and his wife Simone have, have done some pretty amazing stuff there, particularly along the Ocean Road. So there's ten featured gardens in that book. It's well worthwhile keeping your eye out for it. Um, now we're going to get back in answering your questions. There are a lot of uh, of questions uh, flowing through. Please. Do us a favour, hit the like button. It really does us uh, a lot of good because it shares it with your friends and it means that more people can participate in information that we're sharing um, goes right across um, uh, all of our networks, which is wonderful. Now, we'll go to uh, Kerry in One and Up in WA. I'm not sure where that is. We've got four pink lady apples on our tree, but they're all the size of 50 cent piece. Now, they've been like that for about three months and haven't gotten bigger. What can I do? It's very unusual to still have apples on your tree. And the fact that they're so tiny suggests that they're not going to get any bigger because your tree should have dropped all of its leaves by now. Um, And if it hasn't, it's going to nevertheless in the next probably four to six weeks before it'll it'll re-emerge. So, Kerry, um, I've got some good news and some bad news. The bad news is that um, they're probably not going to get any bigger than that. The good news is that they're probably ripe, so you're probably able to take them off and actually have a little bite and you'll find that, um, that you've got these little mini apples. This is not an unusual thing when you've got a tree developing and forming and particularly in places like Perth where it's a bit warmer, um, sometimes uh, these trees will set fruit very, very late, and that sounds like what's happened here. Um, Suzanne is in Melbourne. Um, what cut flowers are easiest to grow in Melbourne? Well, probably one of the best uh, that I can think of in Melbourne that I love um, growing as well in my own garden, but they, they never, ever look quite as good as they do in, in uh, some of the Melbourne gardens, are things like gypsophila. So that's that beautiful um, white fairy flower that you'll – often uh, see in cut flowers. You you can definitely grow things like carnations. They all do a great job. And chrysanthemums, they all do really well in Melbourne. Um, when, you, when you're talking about uh, flowers uh, during the summertime, then there's no doubt that probably one of the very best is actually dahlias. And, of course, it is coming up time to be putting your dahlia tubers in the ground. So we'll talk to uh, David Van Berkel at Garden Express a little bit later on. I might ask him that question whilst we're at it. Um, so hopefully that helps you, Suzanne, with a few, um, just a few of the many uh, cut flowers that do really well, but but certainly those ones are the easiest. Um, Myrtle is in Wallet in Victoria. I planted cauliflower seeds at the end of the autumn season. They have huge leaves, but no signs of cauliflower yet. Do I need to fertilise? What should I use? Well, actually, now is not the time to fertilise, and what will be happening is inside the heart of that plant, you will see there's a little little cauliflower heart just starting to form and it's starting to get bigger and they'll, they will come through. So you just have to be a little bit more patient. In the cooler conditions, they do grow quite slowly. So, um, yeah, just be patient, Myrtle. They will come. Kim's in Eltham in Victoria. I've got an ornamental grape. Should I be pruning this back before the new growth? Absolutely. Um, only to, to get it into shape more than anything. They don't have to be pruned ornamental grapes because you, you're really growing them only for the flower. Um, so it's not like you're trying to trigger um, fruiting. But, yes, you should actually at the moment uh, probably go through and get it into shape and opening it up a little bit, allowing a little bit of airflow through it when the new buds and growth comes through is always good because it helps them avoid getting any of those fungal diseases that are so common with all grape varieties. Tala is in the central tablelands of New South Wales and she's a great friend of ours. Thanks for joining us again this morning, Tala. I'm looking for the best 
frost, drought, hardy native grasses. Well, lamandras, without doubt, are probably the ones that you want to take a look at. They are incredibly good. There is a company um, that does some really good work, actually, um, in introducing new varieties. And um, they're located in New South Wales. They have a lot of very, very good varieties of um of uh, native grass species or strappy leaf plants that are suitable for this kind of garden. Um, I'm going to just, I've got a little little blank in my mind though as to their name. I'll come back to you with that, Teller. Um, But um, yeah, I'll come back to you. But uh, there are a lot of them out there at the moment. And uh, look, uh, the best place to always start probably is gonna be your local garden center. If you can't go and visit, which many people can't at the moment, um, the best thing to do is jump online and uh, you can go to places like Garden Express, have a look at their ranges that are available, which will be right now in their catalogue. So check that out. Um, remember, if you have a question that we love, we're going to give you a packet of seeds. Um, one of the things that you should do at the moment is be telling us about the fruit trees that you've got in your garden, because if you've got evergreens, um, there's some of them will be producing fruit, like lemons, for example. Um I don't know whether you've seen a lemon like that. Has anybody got any big lemons out there? Give us a like. Let us know how how big your lemons are because there's two types of lemons. You can see there's the normal one and then there's this one that grows at Trevor's Place. Now, these are, these are huge and they're partly huge because I'm feeding them with Troforte and it does seem to give you know, enormous growth. But um, the other thing is that there is a varietal difference. So this is Lisbon. Um, it's a very good juicing lemon. Um, this is Eureka. Now, it tends to be a big fleshy lemon, not as good on the juice. And um, they probably, even though they're, they're massively different in size, they probably produce the same amount of juice. But this one's fantastic for drying and for using in cooking. Um, if you want to use the flesh for other things, um, absolutely brilliant. So tell us about what fruit trees you've got and give us a like whilst you're doing it. Um, and I, I've kind of led into, uh, led into this a little bit to sort of talk about my plant of the week. Um, really the plants of the week is really what we should be calling it this week because it's, it's this, it is this and this. And if you can tell me what they are, um, you will definitely be in the running to win the book, okay, because the book's called Delish and these are all edible. And this one, this one, is the world's most popular drug. You'll have to tell me what it is, okay? We all love it. Most of us can't start the day without it. I can see David Van Burkle looking looking at that going, oh, I'm not quite sure. You know, how, can you see, can you see? See those little beans? There we go. Have a look. Tell us what you think they are. And in the meantime, let's have a chat to David because he has got uh, an offer of the week. Now, I am lucky enough to know what that offer is already. And David, before we get started... Could you make sure you put collection one and collection two, two, one of each, please, to one side and send it to me ASAP because I love, I love tuberous begonias and it's so rare to see them available and here you are, you guys have got them. They've come a long way, the old begonias, Trev. There's uh, a few in our series, including some mocha ones, which I might mention earlier and then put to the side with the chocolate-coloured foliage. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So it's, it's come, come a long way, but these, this, um, the, the breeding and, and, and probably um, the place where I've seen them and and just fell in love with them has been in North America. I think um, there's a, a whole range, there's been so much breeding done in this space, a whole range of those tuberous begonias that are so good in hanging baskets with giant flowers. Yeah, they're terrific, aren't they? So, you know, we call them trailing begonias or um, our offer this week is uh, is the Illumination Series, which, yep. again, is those breeders just taking on those attributes of the, of the you know, the, the hanging types and, yep. uh, as opposed to your normal upright. And then there's also some super uprights, Trev, that you might know of. I think there's one called Big Red, which is very popular yes. in this as well. So, yeah. Um, and, and, of course, for us, we're able to do the dormant tubers, they're not really a plant that likes to be disturbed that often, but of course, mm-hmm. in order to get them in the mail, um, because they're so fleshy, we prefer to do them in the tuber form. In tubers. So is that how they come? So they'll come in, come in a pack um, of three, is that correct? Yes, correct. Three individually labelled. And yep. um, and you've just got a nice little probably 50 cent, uh, 50 cent coin size um, base tuber from yep. which the uh, from which you know the, the the parts of the plant start to grow. 
So you get them, they arrive at the doorstep, you get them, you pop them into a pot of really good potting mix or a hanging basket? Hanging basket's great, Trev. Um, Particularly the Illumination series, you know, the collection that we've got is all about hanging and allowing those those florets to to hang down. You know, they'll probably get to about 30, 40 centimetre bracts hanging over the pot, yeah. That's um, that's spectacular. Now, tell me, um, there's uh, there's two collections. Uh, the first collection, uh, collection one, you've got three different types in it. Yeah, we've got a, a lemon, a salmon pink, and a dark red uh, illumination begonias in the first one. And in the yep. second collection, we've got a golden picotee, orange, yep. and an apple blossom, which is uh, quite white with a beautiful, beautiful hue of pink on the outer of the petals. That golden picotee, I, I know that one. It's, it's um, I suppose the flowers are almost apricot in colour and they're huge, they're spectacular. Their blooms are, are quite incredible, you know, quite large blooms and, and plenty of them, Trev, you know, it's a great value plant that just keeps delivering. So, And you probably would have seen some of these about in pots from time to time. Um, yep. you know, beautiful summer flowering colour, late spring and summer flowering, uh, and particularly good indoors in the cooler climates. Uh, and that's why we're able to do them dormant. We're, we're in a cooler climate, so they're not continuing to grow all year round for us here. So they will grow indoors, just need a, a bit of a brightly lit position? Yes, yeah, exactly. So, um, you know, the Begonia Festival in, uh, in Ballarat, in the enormous glasshouse there, uh, attracts yeah. uh, a lot of people to come and have a look at it. And that's the perfect environment for them. You know, in a really, really cold situation, um, they have these beautiful, beautiful blooms, uh, enormous range of, of begonias there. Two collections, um, Begonia Illumination Collection 1, Collection 2. What's the? I'm looking at the prices. I, I think you've got it wrong because it's, they were $29.70, which I think is pretty cheap, but now $23.70. Is that right? $23.70, Trev, yep. So um, not sure exactly what that discount is, but, uh, you know, a, a good deal there to be had on, uh, on those two collections. Both the same price, just a colour choice for, uh, for the customers. All right. Well, I'll um, I'll give you my credit card number after the show, mate, because uh, collection one and collection two, I'd like one of each. I'm going to pop um, I'm going to pop single. Cor- I think the single corms into hanging baskets. I've got a, a nice atrium, um, well lit. They should do really well in that environment. Yeah, perfect, mate. And now with your with your lemon, Trev, just a little tip on the uh, on the bigger lemon there. Um, yeah. Drying them up and then infusing them in a bottle of vodka comes out a treat. Yep. Wow, of all the people to have given me that advice. <laughs> <laughs> Dave, that's awesome, mate. Look, it's lovely catching up with you again. If people want to get their hands on this, um, this I know that this happens every single week. We get some people that come back and go, oh, I missed out. There's always limited stocks, isn't there? They've just got to jump online, gardenexpress.com.au. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, in the, the begonias will be in the, um, in the special section uh, where special. the offers usually are. So I'm sure our viewers are. Uh, familiar with that space now awesome mate well look i'm i'm hoping that uh, people realize just how good these are we've shown some some images obviously of the flowers as we've um been chatting um have to jump online and, and place their orders and i hope i uh, hope to hear that you guys are coming out of lockdown sometime soon david it's um it's big big challenge for us all at the moment isn't it Yes, it would be it would be nice to go out and get a proper meal. Uh, not that we don't have proper meals at home, Trev, but you know the the atmosphere of a restaurant and and geez, those guys are doing it quite tough. You know, we're we're yeah. blessed that um, we've been getting so many orders from customers during this time. Um, but yeah, we spare a thought every, all the time for uh, for our local cafes and restaurants and that. Yeah. Uh, just never know when it's coming, mate. No, no, it's it's just one of those things, and I think we're all just going to have to be adept at. Um, taking each challenge as it comes. And I suppose, you know, one of the great things that, that everybody can and should do is to get out and get into their gardens because it is a really good way to de-stress if you're feeling a bit stressed out, um, you know, getting out into your backyard, which you can still do, and, and creating beauty at home is a is obviously a, a really good therapy in, in its own right. So um, jumping online to Garden Express and getting it delivered direct to your doorstep is one way that you can keep gardening and, and stay happy. Absolutely. There's always something to change in the garden and a change is as good as a holiday, they say. So yeah. well, always another plant that you can add. Uh, and by all means, plan ahead and, um, and shop with Garden Express. Thank you. Thanks, mate. All right. Have a great day and I look forward to chatting to you next week, hopefully, David. Thanks again. Garden Express are Australia's leading mail order gardening service, offering a wide range of quality garden products. 
Each week on the Garden Gurus Live, the team at Garden Express will share a weekly offer. So make sure after today's show, you jump online and visit their website. You know what I'm doing this week, folks. I'm um, I'm putting some uh, some begonias into my uh, into my hanging baskets in my atrium. Now let's uh, fly into some more questions. We've got quite a few coming through, and uh, we'll go to Sydney Marina. I know it's probably a little late in the season, but after pruning roses, it's said to spray with lime sulphur spray. As I'm in Sydney and in lockdown, so avoiding shops, could we use something like Eco Oil or Nature's Way instead? Um, Look, eco oil is a completely different thing. So, um, the, the the generally the the application of lime sulphur is to to burn off um, any fungal spores, uh, and secondly, um, it tends to be a, a good deterrent for aphids and so on as new shoots emerge. Unfortunately, um, eco oil will be a bit of a deterrent for things like aphids, but not for the fungal issues. Uh, you don't necessarily have to be uh, spraying your roses automatically after they've um, they've they've uh, been pruned. You would only do that really if you're really suffering from significant problems with powdery mildew, downy mildew, or, or you know sometimes it's uh, it's some of those spots. So you know getting a black spot or anything going through uh, your roses. That that's the only reason you would do it. And to be quite honest. You don't really have to do it after you've pruned them because you're getting very good air movement and there's no foliage on the plants. It'll be later on when you'll start to see there's going to be some fungal problems. They start to emerge and you're probably better to treat them with a fungicide in season than necessarily just spraying for the sake of spraying. Debbie Ann is in Gippsland in Victoria and uh, I use my chicken pen cleanouts in my garden and I'm just wondering if I'm holding it long enough before planting veggies. So... I'm I'm assuming it's pretty raw, um, and obviously it's the chicken manure, which is very high in in uh, nitrogen and ammonia, and and that can cause when it's not broken down, uh, some some quite sort of significant burning problems with young seedlings. Now, in saying that, it doesn't take long for uh, the chicken manure to compost down and uh, and to lose that that excess nutrient. What I would recommend you do, though, is I'd get a compost bin and I'd be pouring it into the compost bin on top of some greens, some lawn clippings and others, and that will superheat it and mean it'll break down and it means that the compost you get will be just a really wonderful, rich, natural compost but very, very high in nutrients. So that's my suggestion. If you, if you don't want to do that and you do want to just apply it straight to garden beds, um, definitely don't go putting young seedlings in. It shouldn't be too big a problem for older plants, but certainly young seedlings you, you don't want to do that with. Leanne is in Doreen in Victoria. We're, we're all very busy in Victoria and New South Wales today on the show. Um, this is my first time successfully having a broccoli heads. Okay, they're still small and they're growing. Should I cut off to encourage side shoots? Well, no, let those heads get as big as they can, but obviously you want to pick them just before they turn into little flower buds and burst open. So um, let those single heads get really big. When you cut them, you will get side shoots afterwards, and they'll be more like broccoli, you know, broccolini. So they'll be little, little narrow shoots, and you'll get a, a harvest of those. So, um, but let those central heads get really big. Fiona is in Kempsey in New South Wales. We've got a twenty-year-old firewheel tree that has never flowered. What do we do? It's a native. It is a native, um, Stenocarpus sinuatus. It's a beautiful Queensland native, and they are absolutely fabulous when they're in flower. The trick is getting them into flower, and they just require a bit of maturity. At twenty years, it should be producing it. And what I suggest is probably going on here is it's probably getting all the environmental things it needs. It's getting the right amount of water, it's got the right amount of nutrients and therefore there's no need for it to to be producing large amounts of flour. What you can do is if you can back off the water um, for a period of time and try and stress the tree a little bit, you'll find that it will go straight into flower. Its natural instinct will be to reproduce, so it'll go into flower and produce seed after that. It's a pretty simple thing. It's just... um, it's just one of those things. Um, Jean is in Epping in Victoria. Does Confidor's uh, systemic tablets get rid of thrips? And the answer is uh, Confidor sy- uh, systemic tablets will get rid of thrips. They shouldn't be active at the moment, Jean. That's the only thing that I would say to you. 
um, you do need to understand that uh, Confidor's active ingredient can be quite, um, well, it's believed to be uh, quite a concern for bees. But in saying that, um, thrips are such a terrible terrible insect and you do not want them to get out of control um, the the thing is during wet cooler periods they tend to be as as a general comment they tend to be fairly sort of benign but when it gets hot and dry you can see huge amounts of damage done to flowers and and to foliage particularly new developing foliage so those confidor systemic tablets is probably one of the better ways to treat it just be careful with how you use them and don't go using too many, only on the plants that are really, really um, struggling. So um, I hope that helps uh, with that one. Uh, Leah is in Melbourne. She's just rescued a gorgeous Inaba shidare, which is a um, weeping Japanese maple. It was in the ground, but will it be okay to put it into a pot? And the answer is yes, it'll be fine to go into a pot, depending on how big it is and how big your pot is. You, what you want to do is make sure you're using lots and lots of really good potting mix. Um, so look for that that premium end. So I would be looking at the professional Osmocote um, potting mix is, is my personal choice uh, to get the results that you really want. Um, and look, if you're digging it out of the ground, which you obviously have done, this is the best time of the year to do it. But when you put it into the new home, whether it be, you know, whether it be in the ground or whether it be in a pot, um, regardless, you need to give that root system a really good soaking with sea sol, okay, at recommended rates, um, but that'll stimulate new small roots to start growing out. So it should help. Cherie is in Bunyip and Cherie's a, a long-term um, friend of ours. It's lovely to see you with us again, Cherie. Um, you've got a Guzmania. It's indoors with good filtered natural light. When I purchased it two years ago, it had beautiful flowers, but it hasn't flowered since. I've maintained water in the leaf bars as per the tag instructions. Any tips to get it flowering again or what time of the year should it be flowering? Now, Guzmanias are a bromeliad. So, um, member of the bromeliad family, um, the, the most famous member of the bromeliad family is without doubt is the pineapple, but um, there's a whole range of them. But one of the tricks that uh, the growers use to get uh, Guzmanias all to flower at the same time is that they will put ethylene gas over the top of them. And uh, whilst you're not going to walk around with a gas cylinder and spray that over the, the foliage at night, um, you can create it naturally. And the easiest way to do it is to get a plastic bag. Um, if your Guzmania is sitting in a pot, put the plastic bag over the top of the pot um, put a, a lackey band around the outside. But just before you do that, stuff a couple of banana skins in around the base of the Guzmania. So basically at the very base on top of the soil and then leave the plastic bag there. Now, as the, as the banana skin breaks down, it releases ethylene gas. So it will trigger the flowering process on your Guzmania. You probably need to leave that bag over the top of the plant for at least two weeks. Um, and then I would take it off and I'd probably give it a week free. Then I'd do it again for another two weeks. And after that, you will see flowers emerge. It's a real trick, one that we don't often, um, we don't often get the opportunity to share. So Cherie, that's a great question. And it's a great answer for those people who are frustrated because they bought a beautiful Guzmania or another type of bromeliad, because they'll all respond to this and not got any more flowers emerge afterwards. Kate is in Edgewater in WA. I've got a golden cane palm. It's been planted in a very sunny part of my garden for about three years. It struggles to flourish. It's only got one main stem that's about 1.5 metres high and two small stems. I'm thinking I should transplant it into a pot, potentially make it an indoor plant. Will this work? Absolutely, Kate. Um, they are fantastic as indoor plants and you can transplant them. Now is probably not the time to do it, though. I'm going to suggest that you wait until October, take it out, put it in some really good potty mix. Now, the one thing with uh, Edgewater soil is that it can be pretty sandy and gutless, and golden cane palms love food, so they need to be fed on a regular basis. They need a good, complex nutrient base. So, you know, using something like Osmocote will really help, but there's also this this fertilizer called pour and feed and uh, it's become a, a, you know a rage at the moment as far as anybody who's got indoor plants and what I would suggest you do is grab yourself a bottle of that as well and then it's about a cap a week I think you'll need to check the instructions but a cap a week around the base of the plant and you will get great growth 
uh, in a very short period of time. Just as far as transplanting it out, remember, again, give it a bit of a shot of sea salt when you've got it out of the ground just to, I suppose, reduce the transplant shock but also stimulate some new root recovery. I hope that helps. Um, Matthew from Melbourne, how do we remove ornamental pear trees? Well, it depends on how big they are, Matthew, and where they're located. One of the things that really does help us is if you've got a a particular situation like this where you're looking for a bit of advice, send me a photograph. Um, If it's a so ornamental pears can get huge, they can be very, very big trees. And um, if they're not that big, they can transplant really well. But if they're really big, transplanting's generally quite difficult to do. So removing them may require you just chainsawing them out. But if, you, if you've got reasonable sized trees and they're in a location that doesn't have you know, paving or road or anything else around, any services around, then transplanting is possible. Um, send us a photo, Matthew. I'd love to have a look. Uh, Leah is in Melbourne. Um, she's purchased a double grafted mandarin. Should I wait a bit longer before I repot it? No, Leah, now, as long as it hasn't got any fruit on, now is the time to be transplanting or to be potting up citrus. They love it. It's a really good time of the year and giving it a feed at the moment will really help it along. Double grafted is a really unique um, citrus. It's not often that you see um, more than one um one graft on a, on a citrus tree. Uh, this should give you hopefully two different types of mandarins, which will extend the season, which is why we do that when, when we double graft any kind of fruit tree. It's about extending the season or alternatively providing cross-pollinators. So if you don't have a lot of room, um, you can just put one tree in and it's got two, literally two different types on that cross-pollinate. And that does often happen with things like plums and uh, some of those uh, trees that do require cross-pollination. Mary is in Brisbane. Hello, everybody in Brisbane. Should I fertilise my gardenias now? They've started to form leaf buds. Um, I would suggest that that's probably flower buds starting to come. We're still having cold nights, but most days are warm. This is the best time to be feeding gardenias uh, in a warmer climate. Um, Somewhere like Perth, Melbourne, Adelaide, it is going to be a lot better to do it a little bit further into spring, towards the end of spring, ideally. Um, What we should be seeing and what most people are seeing is on the foliage of their gardenias, they're getting a a situation where they're getting... uh, dark green veins is maybe the best way to describe it, on the leaves. This is a sign that there's a lack of nutrient or trace elements in particular um, that gardenias just need, and they really show it up this time of the year. If you've got that, applying a really complex fertiliser, so something that's got huge number of trace elements in it, um, is going to be a big advantage for you, and you'll find that your... um, that your gardenias uh, will do very, very well. I hope that helps. Leanne is in Doreen in Victoria. I was given a kaffir lime four years ago and it's never had fruit. It's now in a large pot. Are they only used for their leaves? Well, I'm glad you I'm glad you mentioned that because it just so happens that's the fruit of kaffir lime. So um, I've just picked a couple off my fruit trees and I had a, I bought a bit of stuff in today to share with the, the team here. But you can see the fruit itself. It's quite an interesting fruit and um, it's got an unusual sort of smell to the flesh of this particular fruit. It's, it's not like the foliage that you do use in cooking. It's quite different again, but you can kind of grate this and it's, it's a little bit on the, um, I'm going to say it's not sour, but it's, it's got a different kind of a, almost a bitter kind of texture to it. So in certain certain types of cooking, it's absolutely fabulous. They will be produced. Uh, eventually these trees always produce fruit and uh, then it's a case of working out what you do with them. So gr- grating it over stir fries or using it in curries, great way to go, of course, but the foliage will deliver a very different result as well. So hopefully that helps, uh, Leanne. And just keep feeding and encouraging that new leaf growth coming through. That's really the ideal scenario. Maz is in Ipswich in New South Wales. Hi, Maz. How are you going? It's great to have you back with us. Another regular. Um, When should the berries start appearing on our berry plants? I'm assuming you're talking about blueberries because they should be just starting to appear now. Um, the other kinds of berries, the, the blackberries, the boysenberries, all of those will be a little bit later, sort of late spring, early summer, uh, depending on the variety, for majority of them anyway. So just be patient, Maz, that should do the job. This show is brought to you by the Garden Gurus and Evergreen Garden Care. 
Evergreen Garden Care and their market-leading brands are some of the most trusted consumer brands within the garden care market. They produce high-quality garden care products designed to help people create their own green oasis. Whether it's a garden, a balcony or potted indoor plants, they want to inspire anyone, anywhere to be able to easily create and maintain their own garden. To find out more about Evergreen Garden Care, head to www.lovethegarden.com. And have a look at all the other questions coming through. We have got some pretty good ones um, flowing through. This one is Liz in Sydney. Hello, Liz. Um, I've got small white flies on a potted sage. What's the best way to treat them? Will they damage the plant if untreated and how to prevent them? Okay, so the little white flies are, are a pest and they will build up in numbers um, on your potted sage if you're not careful. So the best way to get rid of them is to just, you can use a natural spray with this. So something like garlic chili spray will do the job and um, it tends to break the breeding cycle. But the trick is you have to literally turn the pot over on its side and spray under the leaves. Okay, so that's where they're laying their eggs and that's where the larvae will start to appear and, and uh, the populations will build. If you do that, you'll get rid of them quite quickly. Lindy is in the Perth Hills. She's got a zamia palm, which has pups on the side. The palm is looking tired. Do I repot and pull off the pups and pot up? Well, the answer is yeah. So take the take the zamia palm, which is a cycad, take it out, and this, this applies to pretty much all the cycads, um, pop, pot it up, so put it into, into its new pot with really good potting mix, very important. Um, give it a feed then what you do is you go around and you remove all those little pups off the side and pop them into little pots. So they, they're best to be kept in a, a pot that's only about double the size of the width of the of the pup because they tend to come in these little, like a little, um, it's like a bulb, I suppose, um, and you pop that in so it's quite a small pot. Let it drop its, leaf, uh, drop its roots down. New leaves will come out and it'll take off. Um, I wish Harriet from Melbourne had have, uh, message just a little earlier, Harriet, because there is nobody who knows hippiastrums, I reckon, better than David Van Berkel from Garden Express. David's been growing them literally in the field for years, for years, for as family's probably been doing it for generations, to be quite honest. Um, and they are a really beautiful, understated plant. I'm, I'm a big fan of hippies. Um, so let's talk hippies. Is it best to plant them in a pot or in the ground and what to feed them. So let's go to the first question. I think they perform far better when they're growing in a pot. That's just my advice. Sometimes though, you want them in the garden. So my advice is put them into a reasonable size pot and then plant the pot in the garden. That's a good way because the, the it seems to be that by containing the roots by keeping them a little bit sort of contained, it really encourages great flowering. Whereas you've just put them into the garden, uh, in the ground, you often find that they'll grow, but they don't always produce flowers. So that's the first thing. The second thing I'm going to say to you is that you should feed them and you should feed them with a liquid fertilizer. So over the foliage is the ideal way to go. So in this particular instance, I'd be looking at something called phostrogen. It's um it's a really good flower promoting liquid fertilizer. And by by feeding, and when I say feeding, you are feeding straight to the foliage, so it's going straight into the bulb, straight into the plant. Um, you probably need to do that every two weeks. And if you were to do that just at the moment, um, we've got foliage coming back on them. They should be just about there. Um, you're going to find as the foliage starts to come through, you get really good growth and then you'll get really good flowering. So liquid feeding, phostrogen is the key, that one. Erin is in Brisbane. I've got a giant maidenhair tree. Would like to cut it shorter to picking height. How much can I safely chop off? Chop it? Sorry, it's not maidenhair. It's a giant mandarin tree. That makes more sense. I was looking at it thinking, hmm. Um, how much can I safely chop off it without killing it? Well, look, the trick with mandarins is actually keeping the tree to a manageable size and height. Um, you don't want to go cutting it back to all this, the, the hardwood. What I would do is do it selectively. So I would go through and take out two or three major leaders, some of those taller ones, but make sure you're leaving all the side growth off uh, on, the, on the tree itself. Um, maybe removing 50% 
and then go back in, say, two months or three months' time when there's new growth emerged from the first pruning, um, I would go through and finish off and do a second pruning, which will complete the reshaping of the tree. Then what you need to do is about six to nine months after that is to give it a light trim to make sure that all those new shoots that are growing out don't become what we call water shoots and end up being big, long, leggy ones. You cut them back and that, of course, encourages it to be quite, um, well, I suppose quite bushy. Um, Tala, second question today. Tala, you are switched on. She's in the central tablelands in New South Wales. She's got a bit of property here. She's looking at some pretty, well, for some pretty shade trees that you could plant in a horse paddock. Now, the question is, do you want deciduous or do you want evergreen? There's so many beautiful trees out there. Um, I'm going to give you two of my favourites, all right? So knowing that it's a horse paddock and knowing how destructive horses can be, you really do want to try and get yourself something that's quite large quite quickly. And it's uh, a horse paddock's a good place to put some stately trees in. So I would suggest to you that you think about doing something like um, there's a couple of really beautiful forms of uh of maple that you can get your hands on. These are the Canadian maples, the North American maple trees um, that you can put through. Uh, and uh, I suppose it gets down to the variety that you like, really. So maybe visiting Fleming's is a good uh, is a good idea. Um, and um, they have a wonderful website where you can select those kinds of trees. As far as evergreens go. Look, you know, you probably can't go past some of the euc, some of the, the eucalyptus varieties that are out there. There's some some lovely state, stately trees again, and I'm I'm pretty sure in the central tablelands you'd be able to grow something like, and uh, it's a bit of an unusual one to suggest, but if you've got room, this is a beautiful tree. Is Eucalyptus citriodora, the lemon scented gum, um, gorgeous tree. Um, obviously, you have the the fragrance of the the lemon scent coming through the foliage, and it's really good. Um, yeah, there's a couple of suggestions for you, and uh, Fleming's is uh, is the tree to um, is the is the um, website to go to, and I think it's um, Fleming'sNursery.com.au. I'll, I'll get the guys to do a little check for us on that one and just confirm that that's the website. Um, what I what I would also uh, just mention we we talked earlier on about um, uh, you, you asked a question about. Um, grass-like, native grass-like plants that are that are ideal for your environment. I mentioned a, a company, um, well, this was down in Melbourne, but I mentioned a, a company that's in Sydney that's it's got some really wonderful uh, members of the strappy leaf and, and grass leaf families of plants. That company is called Ozbreed. So it's O-Z Breed. And uh, again, that's a it's a great site to go and check out some varieties that have been trialled all over the country uh, before they're released, and and you'll find them their, their collections are generally quite commonly found in um, uh, in pretty much all good garden centres. So I hope that that helps. Uh, let's keep going. Aruni in Perth, hello, another another regular. It's great to have you with us, Aruni. Just heard the advice on blueberries. Mine is in a pot and growing okay, but I just noticed the leaves are turning reddish purple colour. Now, is it a nutrient deficiency or a response to the frosty conditions in Perth? And mine are doing exactly the same thing, Aruni. It is a response to the cooler conditions. Um, typically, blueberries would be deciduous. There are evergreen forms, but they typically lose their leaves. And so um, with a lot of the breeding that's gone on, it's pretty much delivered us foliage almost all year round, but you will see, uh, even on those evergreen varieties, in cold conditions, they'll get this reddish purple colour through the foliage. So don't worry, there's nothing wrong with that. Mine are looking exactly the same. Mine are all producing flowers and uh, they're looking like they're going to produce a huge crop this year, which is fantastic. Margaret uh, is in Belgrave. I've got an azalea growing out of my tree fern. That's amazing. The azalea is quite old. Can I remove it without killing it? Uh I'd really love to have a look at a photo of that, to be quite honest, Margaret. There's there's certainly a big risk that you would kill um, the azalea by trying to pull its root system out of the tree fern. And I suppose the question is, do you really have to do that? Um, yeah, I'd be interested to have a look at that. That's a very unusual thing. Um, very cool. Thanks so much for doing that. Um, Mark in Brisbane, um, 
from the Garden Express page too, I should mention that we obviously we've been um, coming through to you uh, via the Garden Gurus page, but also Garden Express. And of course, should never forget um, that we've also got a YouTube channel. Um, Mark's come through the Garden Express page with a question, what's the best fertiliser for lemon trees? Mine is the Lisbon type. So it's the Lisbon type, which is that type. And um, control, look, I use controlled release fertilisers. You should have just about picked all your fruit, depending on how big the tree is. I've got a, a dwarf form of this, and I still probably have 30 fruit on it, so I'm not going to feed it until I've picked the fruit. Once I've done that, I'll feed it, and it'll flush flowers, and it'll start to grow again. That fertiliser will then be used. And a controlled release specialised fertiliser, um, like the, the fertiliser you'll get from uh, from Scott's, the Osmocote is probably one of the better ones because you can't kill your plant, but you can provide it with a very good source of nutrients. Another one from the Garden Express page coming out of Brisbane, Diana. Diana, yes, yeah, sorry. Um, I've got jonquil bulbs in the ground. I've had them for two years. They grow leaves, but no flowers. What can I do to make them bloom? Diana, I suspect that it's just too warm. Um, the fact that they're continually coming up, if you're going to get a cold winter, you'll find that that'll be the year they'll flower and they'll do really well. Um, but, uh, yeah, I, I don't think you can do an awful lot. Look, for, for us nutty gardeners like, like me, I grow cherries at home. My environment is probably not ideal for cherries. I'm, I'm ch sort of cheating it really. Um, the trees are doing quite well, but producing crops is really just gets down to cold winters so sometimes when we've had a fairly warm winter what i'll do is i'll cheat it by throwing ice literally ice blocks onto the ground onto the surface of the soil so that's where the chill factor needs to be it chills the the roots and it helps the plant set set flower and, and obviously set fruit a bit later on hope that helps um i asked you well, let me have a read of this. I'll show you what my plants of the week were. Congratulations. Oh, yes. Sure. Okay. Thanks very much. Lockie's, um, Lockie's writing me uh, things to explain what we're talking about. I asked you what my plant of the week was, um, and congratulations to Alec, which is on our YouTube page. It's won a copy of Delish. That's it there, because Alec answered this question, what is that? That is a custard apple, and this one is just about ready to eat. I think I picked it on Friday and uh, today, what, three or four days later, it's getting soft. I think we might try this a little bit later on after the show. If you haven't had custard apples before, um, the flesh is, is a really creamy, custody kind of flesh, soft flesh. And um, it's not the texture that a lot of people necessarily like, um, but if you want to sort of get a taste for it, it is um, absolutely delicious. And it's exceptionally good for you. So it has an, it has a plant chemical in it that's uh, been well. It's being replicated now uh, as a treatment for cancers. So it's a, it's kind of, um, it's kind of a sort of a special kind of fruit. It's a bit unusual. It's not exactly the most attractive, um, but it is delicious and super sweet. If I didn't mention that before, um, this, by the way, that particular cheat there, coffee. That's what that is. That's um, come off my coffee tree. And uh, I have an enormous crop of beans, and you can see the beans are just just there. So that's the fruit, and you actually take the seed out, and um, inside that is uh, is obviously the, the the bean itself, which we then roast and makes a great coffee. That is not a pawpaw for those people that thought it might be. It's a member of the same family, but it is a babaco. And uh, I, I just have an endless supply of these coming through in my garden all the time. It's got an anise flavour to it. It's absolutely sensational when you eat it with ice cream, just letting you know. Okay, um, we have got um, a question from Alec. My eight-year-old custard apple tree started flowering and fruiting last year. Pollination was an issue. How do I fix it? So interestingly enough, custard apples do produce male and female uh, flowers on the same tree, but the the flowers open at different times of the day. So to get a pollination, good pollination, generally you actually have to go through and, and get a, um, a, a little brush, a little paintbrush, and dust all the pollen from the male flowers off and then pop them on the female flowers later in the day. 
Or you can encourage ants to come into your garden. So ants are the natural pollinator for, for these particular trees. So a little bit of honey um, at the base of the tree in a small bowl will bring ants in from wherever they are. And then hopefully you'll encourage them to maybe head back up into the tree and do that pollination job. So basically what happens is they come up in the morning, they, they move their way through the flowers. They're obviously getting some of the um, the sweetness, some of the nectar from the flowers. They get that on them. And of course, they're covered in pollen. They move up higher into the tree later in the day as the, as the female flowers open and they're pollinating the tree. And uh, ants is the perfect solution to that. So I hope that helps you. How have we gone? We have got to 11.05. It's uh, here in here in Perth. It's unbelievable. I hope you've enjoyed today's show. We are, are bringing it to you uh, from sunny, sort of sunny Perth at the moment, but um, we are always trying to come up with uh, new ideas and answer your questions and inspire you. And we'll be back next week doing this all over again. I want to say a big thanks to the team here because it's always a team that makes this happen. Lachlan is going to be sending a message out to our Packet Seed winners this week for their contributions. Um, we'll be back. Garden Gurus is actually now only a couple of weeks away. So the Saturday, the 21st of August, the Garden Gurus TV show will reappear on Channel 9. You'll need to check your local guides because there are different times it's playing at the moment in different states due to sporting commitments um, remember you can always jump onto our website if you've got a question um, if there's something you want to know about maybe you want to watch a video we've always got it on our website that's the gardengurus.tv or our youtube channel the gardengurus.tv as well that's a, they're two great resources if you're looking for more advice on gardening you can of course listen back to today's live stream and catch up on previous episodes by visiting spotify apple podcast and audible and we will be back next monday i can't believe it it's um it's been a busy busy start to the week with uh with the questions today we'll be back next week so think up all your best questions we'll have some great prizes for you we'll see you at 12 p.m australian eastern standard time that's 10 a.m western standard time next monday i'm trevor cochran we'll see you then 